Welcome to the Creative Agency Account Manager podcast with me, Jenny Plant from Account Management Skills Training. I'm on a mission to help those in agency client service keep and grow those existing client relationships so your agency business can thrive. Welcome to episode 38. Now, this is part two of a two-part interview with Simon and Kerry from Relationship Audits and Management. So if you didn't catch the first part, I would urge you to go back to episode 37 and make sure that you listen to that one because we covered the three themes of their interviews with hundreds of clients over the last year. So the themes that we covered on the last one was, is your agency fit for purpose? Are you nimble enough? And are you communicating in the best way? This episode, we're going to cover three new themes. Are you sharing learnings from other clients? Are you better or worse at tech? And did you realize that what drives perception of value for money has changed? Let's go back to the interview now. So I want to move on to the next theme, if that's okay, which particularly stood out for me is all about the question around, are you sharing learnings? from other clients. So can you tell me the background to this question and some of your recommendations? Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating. You know, whenever there's uncertainty, right, people want to know what the best thing to do is. And if you're an agency, you've got loads of clients, generally, or at least you've got more than one. And so if you're working with different clients, you may be coming across different ways of dealing with things like the pandemic, right? Now, This, of course, is not just about the pandemic. This is something that we have noticed over the years has been around for a long time, where a client will say to an agency, I tell you what, what are you doing for others of your clients that I can use and reapply to my business? And agencies go, oh, 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 yeah, yeah. And then if asked, the agency would think about it and go to them, right? But the real opportunity here is to just turn that round. You know, 100% of clients want their agencies to leverage their learning with other clients to their benefit. 25% of agencies do so. 100 versus 25. It's dead easy, right? If you're doing stuff for a certain client that works and you see an analogous situation with another client that could benefit from a similar sort of situation, then why not share confidentiality being prime, of course, but you can certainly talk broad principles as in when you do it. And of course, the great thing is you can also turn these things into case studies, whereby it becomes an agency library of how to reapply learning from one situation to another while making adjustments at the margin. Now, all clients want, they want to benefit. Everybody wants the inside track, right? And it's such an easy thing for agencies to do. It's true of service providers in every market we've looked at, the clients want them to leverage their learning. I absolutely agree. And I love that you're making this point. And I just hope everyone takes it on board because it's such an easy win. But you know what? One agency account manager told me, I talk about this in my program. And we talk about using client stories and talking about what other clients are benefiting from and what you're seeing, the trends, the patterns. And you know what she said? I've always been told in client service, You shouldn't be talking about other clients because the client you're with wants to feel like the only client. So up until that point, she hadn't ever referred to what she's doing with other clients. So that's a little bit inside the mind. Now, what she actually did was she did tell the client a story about what she was doing with other clients. And because this particular client, he was ambitious. He wanted to look good within the company. He started leaning in and saying, 
so tell me what else are you doing for the other clients yeah yeah I want to I want to know that and send me a proposal for this and what else what else she came away from that meeting no word of a lie because I got it recorded for a a proposal to write for 150,000 pounds worth of new business so what you're saying when I read that in your report I just thought yes finally kind of it's official yeah and you know there's a great example oh about two months ago I was interviewing a lady client of one of my clients and she said that when she had gone into this role they had two b2b agencies and the split was roughly 50 50 right six months in the split is now 65 35 in favor of the agency that employed us last year took our advice and started sharing learning, right? (laughs) So they've increased their share of the cake, you know? And the other thing that agencies kind of get very nervous about and, you know, very timid about is the concept that the clients of the agencies, of the agency should, in fact, meet in some way. (laughs) Can't put all clients together. They might say someone might say... Clients want to do it because they want an opportunity to network. They want want an opportunity to learn and reapply. It's all about learn and reapply get the shortcut get to Jenny, I, I, I don't know whether we mentioned this last time but it's probably worth telling the story again there is an agency we work with in the states who want to bring thought leadership and added value to their client relationships and what they do every quarter is they invite i think it's four or five let's say either marketing managers or marketing directors to a meeting where they bring the creative director and the strategic planning director and generally the managing director of the agency. And the client is asked to bring one business challenge or problem that they are facing. Prior to the meeting, everybody has signed an NDA. And so the way it works is, let's say client A has 10 minutes to talk about the background and the issue that they are facing. And then either 20 minutes or half an hour, the group then discuss different views on how that problem might be addressed. But the idea is that people come with problems and it's basically brainstormed, not just with the agency, but with their peers. Now, obviously, their peers don't come from the similar categories or similar markets, but everybody walks out with something. The agency has a better view of the issues that's driving the business. And those clients have actually also met some peers and contacts that they can keep in contact with. And that is a very different mechanism. But from everything that we hear with this agency, it works really, really well. Wow. That shows a level of confidence that also demonstrates that you are a true trusted advisor, aren't you? Because you're helping them ultimately solve their business problem. It does. It does. You know, one of the things that staggers me is... Kerry and I have been running relationship audits for over 20 years now. And what Kerry said is absolutely true, that agencies seem to be fearful of introducing their clients to each other. It beats me why agencies don't do conferences and actually bring all their clients together because clients like to meet other clients. And it's one thing in the old sales promotion industry, you know, which is now the activation industry or, or whatever, used to be fantastic at partnering and bringing people together. And, you know, it's one of the things that we're seeing, particularly in the professional services arena. We work for a number of big law firms. One of the big added value areas is making pertinent introductions, introducing one client to another. 
or other people that they have contact within an industry. It adds an enormous amount of value. It also shows how confident the agency or the firm is. Something to possibly think about. I think it's a great, great tip. Are there any kind of watchouts for doing that? Like, for example, is the reason that that's so pertinent is because the majority of your clients tend to have the title of marketing director. And therefore, of course, they're going to be interested in meeting other marketers from other industries to yeah. share learnings. Is I it mean, necessary that they have the same category background or not category, but title? Yes, I mean, you would have, I mean, the two big watchouts are nobody that in the faintest way could be considered conflicts, point one. And point two is you have people at the same level. So there wouldn't be any problem having marketing directors and marketing managers, but you wouldn't invite, let's say, a managing director from one company and a product manager from another. And then thirdly, it's the same when we're doing interviews, be they online or deep dive interviews, you invite everybody from the same level. You just don't pick one or two. And you know what? Again, it's something you can learn from the professional services firms. We're talking about a conference, but in a sense, it's kind of training. Training and adding value through some form of thought leadership is a fantastic way to not only embed yourself with the clients that you actually currently work with, but also to get attendance from other people that may never have heard of the agency. You know, it's it's something that the social agencies and the digital agencies, a few have done well, a few haven't really taken the opportunity because it's something that anybody, particularly in marketing management, needs to actually know about. And those agencies that, that have offered training and thought leadership have become in many, many cases, the trusted advisors and experts to their client on that subject. Brilliant tips. The other thing I'm seeing, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, but to that idea about training, some agencies do it and have been doing it during the sort of COVID era, running sort of educational webinars, but they tend to just do it for prospective clients rather than their existing clients. Are you seeing that trend as well? But that's just utter, utter, utter madness. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree utter, more. Utter, utter, utter madness. And that's, you know, that really says a lot about agencies like that, that they undervalue their clients hugely. And, you know, as what we said last time, their clients are other people's new business prospects. And particularly areas like training are a great way, obviously, to actually get clients, but also to actually add value to the existing relationship. I mean, frankly, if you think about it, if you've got moderately happy or very happy clients and you're inviting a few new business prospects, you will find that your existing clients will be doing the selling of the agency to your prospective clients. Perfect point. Yeah, absolutely. I want to cover these themes because you've got six themes and so far we've covered four. Theme five was all about are you better or worse at technology? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because I think this is, a, this is a pretty kind of black and white uh, situation, right? Technology, you know, as Simon said, you know, people were talking about our use of technology and technology has changed business, you know, more in five weeks than it had or 10 weeks than it had in 10 years and so on. so technology was a big theme last year you know and we've got some examples of where people get that right and where they get it wrong so a lot of companies 70 percent of companies say technology is important but you know it's, it's around about 40 percent 42 percent 
of clients say they really understand the technological competences of their agencies. And that technology thing is important. I mean, we working with a company, for example, for whom we create, you know, reports in, that, in fine detail. But we also have a dashboard, and this is for our radar product. And, you know, we expose the dashboard. There's a new bunch of people at the client hadn't been exposed to the dashboard previously. We exposed them to the dashboard. They went, wow. This can make our life so much easier. Wow. And they said, well, why didn't you tell us? And we said, well, we did tell you, but the people that we told have moved on and the people that are still there haven't bothered to tell you. You know, it's one of these things. So you never assume. And then the two examples I wanted to bring was that we came across one example last year of an agency that had developed a fantastic intranet. And what they were able to do is a global relationship. And they were able to use that intranet to provide access to clients on a local basis to the library of assets that are being created and make it really easy for them to download it on a local basis and so on and so forth. So made the process simpler and something that will withstand and go past the whole pandemic thing because it's just a good idea, right? And now the other side of technology is when you don't really, haven't really thought it through. And there's a, there's a great example we, we heard last year of an agency that was down to the sort of, the final stages of a pitch for a big UK grocery retailer. And when it came to the sort of the technological audit that the process people were wanted to put in place, what they found was that the agency's capabilities in technology could not deliver what the client wanted because so much re-engineering would be needed. And so the agency lost, even though they were in the final shortlist, they lost out because they did not have the competence and capabilities to be able to deliver what that particular client wanted. So, you know, the whole thing about technology, I can go on and on about this, but the reality is, you know, you need to understand whether your technological process and systems and capabilities is fit for the purpose of what your clients want. And are there any ways in which you can leverage your technology to actually gain competitive advantage? Wow. And Kerry, can I just add to that? It's in in the same way that diversity and inclusion used to be a tick box on a uh, RFP, but now it's switched to rather than a nod, unless you can prove it, you won't get through to the shortlist or won't get appointed. It is worth checking out clients' expectations in terms of technological capabilities before you decide to pitch. Yeah, I think, and I, there's another bit of that too, which is that, you know, if you've got a client, right, and the client works with different agencies and different organizations, one of the things you can do quite simply is ask the client, can you give us an example of another supplier with whom you work that has a fantastic technological solution to a problem that you may have had in the past, right? Because that, that gives you, aha, I should go and talk to those people, you know? So, so that's, again, that's a simple thing you can do. And sorry, Jenny, can I just add one other thing? I think that there will be a lot of account managers, account directors listening to this podcast. And the analogy I would give is understanding what a car can do rather than how the engine works. Understand what technology you have within your agency and the benefits it can bring. Because also we find with a lot of agencies and service providers The people that are representing the agency aren't communicating the technology that the agency actually has to the client. And you never know, you may have competitive points of advantage in terms of the technology you use and how you do it over and above 
the competitive set. Great advice again. I've got so many more questions, but I do want to get through the themes. I'm just jotting them down. So if we have time, theme number six was, do you realize what drives perception of value, value for money now? Like, do you realize what's changed? I mean, the simple thing is that value for money appears to be becoming less transactional. And what I mean by that is less transactional in terms of what's paid versus the deliverables that are given to the client. What we're seeing is soft factors. And by soft factors, what I mean is the quality of staff, people's attitude, as Kerry said earlier, flexibility and agility and going the extra mile are becoming increasingly more valued. And for many clients, this is reflecting a growing desire for true business partnerships in these uncertain times. And that's probably why our data suggests that value for money is highly correlated with the propensity to award more business alongside the quality of the team. So this is really, really important. The more you can be showing and demonstrating value for money with the hard as well as the soft factors, the more likely you are to actually win more business from an existing client. So, I mean, there are a couple of points coming out of this. Uh, Again, this is a recurring theme from what Kerry I've been saying, which is take the time to ask your clients, and in this case, what they take into account when they judge value for money. Obviously, continue to work on the hard factors, such as delivering on brief, on budget, on on time, but also consider these soft measures, such as, the quality of the business relationships and going the extra mile. Be able to demonstrate the value that you bring against your client's defined criteria. One of the things that we often find is that agencies have a clear view of what they believe value for money is. Well, I can tell you nine times out of 10, that that won't accurately measure up against what a client's definition of value for money is. Thirdly, and probably in passing, you know, even before the pandemic, We heard almost on a weekly basis our own clients talking about the dearth of quality talent at junior and middle management level and clients often airing their frustrations about the churn of staff. The thing to say is that clients put a huge value on the retention of staff and there is a definite straight line towards the quality of the business relationship and the continuity of the staff. A lot of agencies are going through an awful lot of churn at the moment. And one of the ways you can differentiate yourself and your agencies is to have happy, motivated people continuing to work on and know the client's business. Where do you see agencies that do particularly well in retaining their existing staff? I think it's an attitude of mine. It's about being inclusive. So, for example, we do an annual client evaluation audit for one farmer agency and what we did this year was and we came out with you know a whole bunch of kind of conclusions recommendations and then what we did was we got involved with the leadership team but with the whole agency right and we said okay so these are the things that you're doing really well right these are the things that you need to be thinking more deeply about and and think about ways of enhancing this and these are the issues these are the problems right and there weren't many of those but hey and what we did, fantastic, everybody in the agency was embroiled in this. You know, they developed certain different cohorts. Each cohort was given a part of these things to review, come up with potential suggestions, and then kind of report back to the group. So the point about all this was that the problems and the issues and the opportunities 
We're all, if you like, fed up from the bottom. So everybody in the business felt they knew what the issues were the clients had, what the clients thought, what the misperceptions were, where they had concerns. And the point is, the agency involved everybody in, in being part of the solution. That's a cracking way of doing it. It's such a fantastic example of superb leadership, isn't it? To get everyone empowered to feel they're part of the solution. Yeah. Because that's part of it, isn't it? To make yeah. people feel they have some control. Yeah, I think that the other thing, to building on what Simon said too, is that, you know, one of the things that comes out when people say, oh, I said, they say, oh, the agency's, the agency's expensive. I go, oh, okay. Are they worth it? Well, well, yeah. Well, why are they worth it? Well, because... Well, because they, for those people who do, because they leverage their learning or because they give us a regular, you know, once a month they give or once a quarter, they give us a, a, a proactive idea, right? So the point about it is that what you're doing is, you know, the, as Simon said, you know, the, the value for money has got more elements coming into it in terms of the kind of expression. But there are some, some simple things that you can do. If you are being more proactive and regularly coming up with an idea, and you don't have to be proactive every single day of the week, right? It's nonsense. But if you can come back maybe once a quarter or you can go and say, you know what, we just kind of took a look at your competition and what they're saying. And we've got a little presentation for you. Would you like to see that? Absolutely. That builds a perception of getting more bang for your buck. Well, it's making things simple. It's also bringing people on and particularly the junior people and giving them experience. Kerry, why don't you just talk briefly when you came into advertising with YNR, what you were set up? to do oh yeah well I, yeah yeah i mean that's exactly the point when i came i, I worked in uh, young and rubicum and i was the junior oik on uh, on a beer account and it was decided that somebody said to me what you got to do evans is you got to make yourself somebody that, that you are the go-to for something uh, and so i decided i was going to make myself the expert on the beer advertising on the competitive beer advertising so i did a whole bunch of work on that did analysis of spend and this that, and the other and did you know what we used to call copy evaluations or evaluate the strategy of the, of the communication and all that stuff. And it was great because I built a reputation of being, hang on, if we, we're talking about the competition, let's get what, what, let's get Evans in here. Was he, was, so you start to build yourself a perceived competence within the agency. So if you are the go-to person on something, that helps build your business, your own business and your profile within within the agency. I love Actually, that. And of course, with the client as well. Of course. Actually, Kerry, I haven't told you this story, but at the same time, when we were in different agencies, I saw that the marketing director of one of the big breweries was talking at a conference and I got myself a ticket and went one lunchtime and took notes. And I came back and I wrote up those notes and sent them to the account director, head of new business. That immediately went to the MD, it immediately went to the chairman, and it was then sent as a new business mailer. And I'd actually made my name wow. uh, just by doing that. And it's, it's just showing that bit of hunger and understanding. And the ironic thing was, it was Carey's client. So I was trying to nick Carey's <laughs> client at the time. But anyway. <laughs> How funny. Oh, that's so funny. Talking, you bastard. Yeah. You bastard. <laughs> talking, talking of hunger, I've been talking to, client, uh, to agencies recently about their approach to gathering feedback from their clients. Okay. Many agencies tell me, oh, yeah, we're going to do the survey. You know, and they always assume and default to some kind of survey. So you made the point, Simon, just before we joined the call, that you're being asked to do so many more deep dive conversations with clients. 
Why do you think businesses and agencies are concluding that that's what they want to invest their time in? Because if money was no object and time was no object, talking to people on a one-to-one basis is the most valuable sort of feedback you can get. Business relationships are getting more complicated. And to be able to, if you like, get the colour rather than just the black and white through deep dives, in-depth interviews is absolutely now more valuable than it ever has been. Just to fill the picture, our business originally started just in doing deep dive, depth interviews. Then about 10 years ago, it shifted hugely in terms of online you know, in one year, I think we did over 30,000 online interviews with individuals. It now seems to be coming back and that a lot of our programs are, if you like, a blend between deep dive interviews with the most important or biggest clients or key decision makers, and then covering everybody else off in terms of online. And obviously, there are common questions for both. But I think the main message is that People are now taking it very, very seriously. And to your point, Jenny, when you opened to say that when we worked with you, we were able to bring back intelligence, which kept that client with you for another two years, which I think was a seven figure in terms of fees. It's got to be worth the investment. Yeah, I mean, it's, there's a great you know, thing that it's that moment. And Simon and I both had this, right? When you're doing an interview. I think that the reason more people wanted interviews last year is, again, based on the uncertainty. They wanted a clear picture of what was going on. Yeah. I thought the best way of doing that was to ask questions. But there's that fabulous moment when you've been doing an interview, you know, you've, you've built a bridge of rapport. The client's telling you all kinds of stuff, some of which you know already because the agency told you, and then says that in, that immortal line. He kind of looks at you and he looks away and looks at me and says, I shouldn't tell you this, but... Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Yes. Bingo. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> the ka-ching moment, yes. It's the ka-ching moment, yeah. That, that's and you think, I... that's, and, and that, you know, that is, the goal. you've built the trust, you've pulled and squeezed that little nugget out, yeah. which can make all the difference. We so may be very biased, but it's just, it's just not tipping up and going, oh, I've got 10, 10 questions to go through with you. So the first question is, what are our creative standards like it's not like that. It, uh, there is, believe me, a real art to actually doing this. And the art is that you actually see the benefit, if you like, with the art and the experience in those kaching moments. Yeah. And I think that it's interesting, you know, the other important thing is here, we've been doing this a long time, right? I know we don't look very old, but we've been doing it a long time. And so what we've learned over the years is which questions to ask, which questions work, you know, and asking the right, you won't get the right answers unless you ask the right questions. But you're also hugely intuitive about responding and going, you know, knowing when to stop, hold back, knowing when to push. And you read people. I think this is what your years of experience of just it's listening for what's not being said. Yeah, it is. And it's, it's, you know, we have an expression of that. We call it going off piste. Right. So if the client wants to go off somewhere and talk about something else, you just kind of go with them when we do the interviews, because you never know what's going to come out the other end. which could be valuable and which you had intended to, you know, to to even look for. So, yeah, so the interviews are, you know, it's a way of 
adding colour. And the other thing that's important is that, again, another one last example for me. I once had to do an interview for an agency and I said to the agency people beforehand, are there any issues I should be aware of? And they said, ah, we've all pretty good shape. There was a little issue on planning, but, you know, that's that's gone away years ago. So I went to see this guy and the guy actually was a guy who used to be my client when I worked for an agency. And I said to him, I said, well, Andrew, I said, tell me about blah agency. What's, what, yeah, what's the big picture here? And he said, oh, planning, bloody planning, planning, bloody planning. Now, I'd been told that the issue was a minor issue that had been resolved, you know, six months ago or a year ago. And that's the benefit of the deep dive interview where you sit down in front of someone, you look at their body language and you get the right volume level. It's the Mm. volume level that matters. Totally. Listen, I want to ask you one more thing, because I would love to ask you both about the trends that you're seeing right now and your advice for agencies to equip them. One of the things you mentioned, Simon, before was, you know, there's a lot of acquisition going on, like agencies acquiring other agencies. And I know that you're involved in that. So I would love you to maybe speak to that a little bit about some of the, the trends that you're seeing currently. Uh, well, undoubtedly, the M&A sector is very, very busy. Certainly, all the motors and acquisitions consultants that we know and work with say that they've frankly never known it busier. What is interesting, though, is that some of the work we do, we call relationship diligence, which is working for a buyer to check out somebody that wants to sell their agency's quality of their client relationships. What we've seen is a significant growth on behalf of agencies that are looking to sell probably between two and five years' time and putting in place regular independent assessments so that they will be able to show to their clients that they have a rigorous process. As one of our clients said, well, the reason I'm working with you guys is because I can't mark my own homework. So, yeah, I mean, that's certainly something that's very, very busy. Secondly, pitching, we've talked about. It's interesting that looking at many professional services firms, I wouldn't say automate the pitch process, but certainly in terms of RFIs, they have certain templates ready to go that are actually tweaked on a case-by-case basis. Thirdly, for me, and I'm sure Care has got, got some more, the better agencies are doing proportionately a lot better than agencies that really haven't got their act together. So if things are very, very quiet for you, For those of you listening at the moment, then you've got to ask yourself, well, are we really positioned as well as we possibly can be? Kerry, do you want to add anything to that? Not really. I mean, I think, you know, one of the themes that came out, and we've we've talked about this before, when the whole lockdown thing started, you know, what the clients were saying is the people who who work with us through this whole pandemic issue, those are the people, if they do it well, that will benefit when the pandemic has, has moved on. And as we're moving out of the pandemic now, I think that's that Simon was, 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 was see the same thing, you know, which is that those people who did these things that we've been talking about today, leverage learning, being flexible, being sensitive to communication needs, all that kind of stuff, those people who did that are benefiting. It's dead simple. And actually, one final thing from me, Jenny. We've talked about lots of initiatives such as post-product reviews, competitive reviews, etc. I can imagine people listening to this going, oh, I haven't got the time to do my day job, let alone the extra. And I absolutely get that. The one thing that clients really appreciate, as, as we all do, is, is brevity and keeping things short. Trying to do whatever you're going to do on one page. 
And so to have a, a, a good one page document, I'm not undermining how difficult that is and how much thought that actually goes into it. But please rest assured what you can do to add value and build better client relationships doesn't have to be long. Great point to finish on. Thank you so much because I've been hearing exactly the same thing. Listen, both of you, thank you so much for joining me again. As usual, you've delivered a huge amount of value, loads of insights, and I'm sure people have been furiously taking notes and have got lots of ideas to go away with. How can people get hold of you if they want to have a conversation around how you could perhaps help them with their business and auditing relationships? Well, you can get hold of us at relationshipaudits.com. And that's probably the easiest way to do that and go on to the contact page. And why don't we also, Jenny, when you post this, put our email addresses, both Carrie, if you think Carrie's better looking than me, um, I'll leave Obviously. That <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> Love it. Uh, so let's not get into looks. We'll just get over here. All right. Okay. So so you've got a choice. You've got either or. So it's the um, switch cell. <laughs> Fantastic. I will in- make sure to include both your email addresses and the link to the website. So thank you so much again. I really appreciate it. Our it's pleasure. been brilliant. Our pleasure. I hope you enjoyed that final part of the interview with Simon and Kerry and have come away with some ideas for what you could perhaps be doing differently with your agency right now as a result of the insights that they both shared. Now, if you have been listening to this podcast for a while, I would really love you to go and leave a review on Apple, Apple Podcasts. I would love it to be very honest, but what that means is the more people that leave a review means that the show gets seen by more people. So I would love if you've been listening for a while to go and do that. I'd be very grateful. 